A lot of you have been asking me for insomnia treatment options, so I want to let you know I have launched an insomnia treatment course. It's a very structured and effective treatment program with a lot of clinical evidence support. So one course is in Chinese and one is in English. You can find it at deepintosleep.co forward slash insomnia. If you have eczema, you may suffer a lot and cannot sleep well. How can you use food and nutrition to really help you? Today we have Krista, a nutritionist. She will share more about this with us. Let's welcome her. Hello, Krista. Welcome to Deep Into Sleep. Thank you so much for having me uh, talk about this really awesome topic. Yes, I'm really excited actually to know more about your expertise, your knowledge about eczema. Yeah, well, it's a tricky topic for sure because um, so many people are affected by it, but our treatment options are, um, they're not very robust yet. So there's a lot of room for more information about it. And again, like I said, it affects a lot of people, actually 10 to 20% of kids and one to 3% of adults. So I think everyone knows someone with a skin issue, even if it's not eczema, um, an itchy rash or a skin condition. I just feel like um, everyone knows someone who's affected. Right, definitely. I would imagine people having this kind of a skin conditions, especially eczema, going to be really suffering at night. They may feel uh, really itchy, they want to scratch, they cannot fall asleep easily. It's actually one of the worst side effects for some people because if you cannot sleep, as you know, I mean, you are living in that in that realm um, or speaking it all the time. Uh, if you cannot sleep, you cannot really repair, right? And so it's sort of a terrible hamster wheel of um, the itching. For some people, itching flares at night. And I think there could be multiple reasons for that. It'd be actually kind of fun to to riff about why that is because it's not, I don't think, we have some, um, we have some, guesses about why it is, but we can't say 100% for sure, right? But it does mm -hmm. seem to flare for some people at night, and then people are itching, and they are um, they wake up in the night from the itching, and that's when things are pretty miserable, right? Um, right? When you're realizing, and if you're a parent, and you're already sleep deprived, and you've got kids waking up from itching, that's the worst. And how do you know how to help them, right? That's the, that's, yeah, that's the exactly. really hard part um, out of it all, mm -hmm. probably. Yeah, so regarding that, I definitely want to ask you, you mentioned the data uh, regarding the condition among children versus adults. So when we treat that, or when you see patients like this in clinical settings, is there any difference in treating children versus adults? Yeah, well, there definitely is, of course, right? They're little people. Mm -hmm. And so it kind of depends. The interesting thing about children, and I think a lot of people don't help children in their practices or they don't treat children in their practices because it's a very wide span. If you're six months old, it's a lot different or nine or one year old. It's a bit different than when you're even 10. So I like um, kiddos five and under because their history has been a little bit shorter and the parents are usually really in tune. So the thing that I see that makes the biggest difference is how much does the, how aware is the parent about what is going on. So with kids, especially like there's a, there's a lot of traditional um, treatments at this time where we recommend wet wraps. And I feel like I see those recommendations more frequent in children and there's products made for children. And we can talk about what a wet wrap is. Um, I'm talking about it like everyone knows, because I think it's not a comp, like people aren't 
people don't necessarily know what that means. Um, and I don't know if you see that in any other situation. I know you've, you have a lot of, um, you have a lot of professional experience working in a sleep, uh, doing mm-hmm. kind of sleep Institute stuff. So I'm not sure if you really saw that, but I guess, let me just go over that. So a wet yes, wrap please. in a, in a child, um, is basically it's a it's a dermatology type recommendation and there are different um, eczema clothing companies not a lot or you can do it with just basically gauze so essentially what they do is they bathe the child and then they put something on the child they put like different um, emollients or creams or oils or something like that usually you don't want to put steroids underneath of a wet wrap because they think it permeates too deeply and can cause some other negative side effects I don't know if that's really well known either so I just want to mention that so usually Mm -hmm. you put some creams on um, and then they wrap so there's a couple options sometimes they'll do um, a a wrap and I've not actually done one um, but they have clothing like eczema outfits that you can basically dip or just like an arm sleeve or a hands or whatever different sleeve areas for different parts of the body. So um, they cover the body with these wet wraps or people sometimes do a do it yourself option um, where they kind of have like a pair of wet pajamas and dry pajamas. And I don't want to say it incorrectly. So I'm going to be slightly vague on purpose um, because I don't want to tell you like, oh yeah, the wet, I believe the wet goes on the bottom and the dry, or actually they do the wet on the top, I believe. And then they actually spray it. And it just kind of calms the skin and some kids parents will say that they just see like a look of relief on their child's face and then they can sleep so that's Mm. like a nice when I'm addressing eczema I always tell people so we really conventionally think about treating treating it really topically right Um, but Mm -hmm. of course skin grows from the inside out so there's some internal um, messaging going on that's creating the whole itch thing in the first place and the waking and the sleep waking etc but since it is still like external to an extent, right? It's on their skin. So it's on the, it's on our shield, our bodies, um, our bodies, uh, our body's armor for ourselves. I always say like you can do interventions from an external and an internal and kind of like a wild card or stress or like pick a different avenue as well. Like I think you can address it from all angles and you need to address it from all angles because one of the negative, negative side effects of not addressing it from all angles, for example, from the external angle is for a lot of people, um, sometimes it's like an overgrowth of staph bacteria. And that's traditionally what we think about in the eczema world anyway. We we often recognize eczema as a bit of a staph aureus overgrowth, a staphylococcus, so that's a bacterial overgrowth. And sometimes that can get, when people are scratching and they get that bacteria under their nails, it'll translocate and it'll be, um, people will get it in different places and essentially you get an infection. And to tell if it's infected, it, infected, it usually looks extremely angry, um, red, raised, and sometimes pussy and oozy. And so whenever someone suspects that it, there might be an infection, they should definitely get that um, cultured, topically cultured, because if they have an infection, they are not going to get some sleep and they're not going to be able to improve their eczema from an internal or external. Like it's just, it's sort of, um, it's trying to rebuild a house when the house is on fire. Um, you really need mm. to put out that fire or that infection so you can kind of rebuild and rebuild the skin and rebuild, um, rebuild the health from, from both the inside and the outside. So there's, right. um, different ways to talk about it for sure. Mm-hmm. Like the outside and the inside and the dermatologists have like a lot of other options as well for, um, for topical options. I have topical things we use, but um, yeah, I'm, I'm tangenting. Mm-hmm. So I forgot your original question. You <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> but this is great. Sounds like from outside external uh, ways of treating it. Definitely. We want use different methods to soothe the skin, soothe the, mm-hmm. the body. Right. So I'm more curious about the internal method. What are some things we can consider to, to treat it internally? 
Yeah. So it kind of depends on the type of eczema. So what I like to do is step way back and say, okay, what's going on? So kind of more like an area we can all agree on. So I think different professionals, we feel differently about, about how to address eczema and that's really okay because Mm -hmm. I think it's still really like, it's this uncontrolled for me, to me, it feels like a bit of an epidemic, honestly. Um, And I think we don't have a lot of tools. So I think I think putting all heads together and having all tools is a great thing. And by the way, there are some other external things like baths, et cetera. So we can talk about that later, but from an internal perspective, something we can agree on is that there's night waking. Why is there night waking? So we think that there's some kind of cytokine, like inflammatory domino effect. And what does that mean? Cytokines are basically like chemical messengers. They communicate messages and it's a very broad term. Um, and they cytokines are inflammatory cytokines or inflammatory messengers that are happening in our body can increase from a variety of things. So there can be like, think about the things that cause inflammation in our lives. These are things I talk about a lot in practice, because if we don't address the initial, um, inflammatory triggers, we tend to like start over all the time. So, Mm -hmm. um, this is a good segue. So, uh, funny, uh, a lot of people discount this one or like we don't want to address this one because um, it's easy but hard. So it's actually really hard, but it's like it's free. And so people sometimes we discount like a thing that we can't buy sometimes. Right. So mm-hmm. um, actually stress. So when I have people that have an improvement in skin conditions um, and then they have like an acutely stressful day or a couple of days where they were maybe gone traveling, they had a fight with someone, et cetera, like just common things that happen, um, they'll notice this flare in their skin. And sometimes it's latent. So it happens a little bit later, up to a couple days later, and sometimes it's immediate. So our emotions do cause that inflammatory cascade. So I just cannot discount that piece. I have to mention that first. So stress is one thing. Then there's environmental um, toxins, essentially. So there, that can be a lot of things. For some people, they'll have contact dermatitis. They'll ha- they'll start reacting from 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 many things in their environment. Um, so I have an example. Sometimes stories help tell um, stories help uh, g- illustrate a point, right? So in my particular mm-hmm. eczema story, um, I probably had some other clues that there was stuff going on. I mean, I really had like kind of on and off eczema or hairline eczema or things that kind of propped up in the winter time. Um, and actually mm-hmm. winter is a great great point too, because, uh, we don't have in most places that are not temperate, like where you live, um, we have like drier air. Right. Um, and so when we have that dry air and no humidity in the air, we automatically lose some water from the top layer of our skin. So again, an external thing. And so sometimes Mm -hmm. the winter can be kind of just more aggravating or harsh for some people. The springtime is harder on their eczema. And that tells me there's a different root cause. Anyway, I'll get back to the environmental um, toxin piece a little bit or environmental factors or environmental influencers. So for my uh, skin issue, I kind of was, I kind of, many of us just think if it kind of comes and goes and it seems to go with the season, we're like, oh, that's normal or genetic or we kind of, you know, we just kind of chalk it up as like, this is my normal, right? Until it gets mm-hmm. bad enough where it's influencing us. So for for me, I had taken my kids to swimming lessons for a full week and I was in a chlorinated pool for many days. And where I live, I don't have chlorine in my water. I have like a well um, because I live really rurally. So we have a well, so I don't have chlorine in my water. So it's not something I'm getting a lot of exposure to because normally in the shower, you're getting a lot of exposure to chlorine. And chlorine is essentially, it's very similar to bleach. Um, in some mm-hmm. ca- in some places, they do people don't like the chlorine smell in the water, so they actually mix right. chlorine and ammonia. Um, so it's called chloramine. And so anyway, um, for me, 
the uh, and this is funny because it's like there's two ways to look at this. Dermatologists will commonly recommend when there's that staph overgrowth, um, they'll commonly recommend a bleach bath for kiddos. And actually, it's I've had some I have some dermatologists I've interviewed on on my podcast where they talk about it more like a bleach dunk, which I think is a good point. It's oh. like oh, it's like a quick antimicrobial thing because if again if you have all this staph on your skin and then you mm-hmm. go to bed like it, you're just gonna itch itch itch. So they'll do like a bleach dunk and then you kind of rinse off. Well, a pool is similar in that it's like giant bleach bath sort of. So if skin gets worse in a pool, it's like one thing. And if it gets better, then it might be a little bit more of a staff origin. So I actually, um, saw this, uh, my, my baby, my six year old, he has similar genetics to me. So I will not, I could, uh, bore you with the story, but my point is, is I kind of gave him a bit of a, a rash. We were working on some, some staff overgrowth stuff. Like he was getting, he was having like a really sore throat, like kind of recurrently. Anyway, long story short, mm-hmm. he would go swimming and it would get a little bit better. And that tells me, okay, we've got oh. some topical bacteria. So if it gets better, we've got some maybe topical, something not good going on. And that acts as kind of an antiseptic. And for me, uh, seven days at the pool really disrupted my skin microbiome and caused a crazy flare for me. So like I ended up with a hellacious flare on my, uh, on my neck and around my eyes, et cetera. It was oh, wow. very, very exciting yeah. to get rid of. <laughs> Just kidding. So that's very- really, yeah, it sounds like it's really individual thing. Um, mm-hmm. Like everyone has different triggers, different reasons, and the same yeah. environment condition can just make some someone's condition better, someone's condition worse. Right. But that's important information. So we can think about it like a frustration, but really it's important, valuable information on how are you going to fix the problem. And this is right. also why we don't have great resources yet because we're in the past, we were kind of treating eczema very, like it was one thing. And that's the problem. We are, we're using the term eczema and this is why probably it's so common, but we're really talking about 10, at least 10 different conditions, 10 or 12, maybe 15. So we've got, um, seboric dermatitis, that's eczema on the scalp or flaky scalp. Um, even cradle cap could be considered a condition, um, which is really similar, uh, or maybe like from a dermatologist standpoint, maybe they call it the same thing. There's hand eczema, contact dermatitis, numular eczema, which looks like round circular patches, uh, molluscum. There's just so many. Um, there's like from, you can get nickel allergies. That's like really great. Another environmental point. Some people will be alerted and that's a really tricky one. And how do you figure that one out? So, um, if someone's getting a spot in a weird place or if they're getting kind of an irritation right where the genes, like where people's denim jeans and they have like a little, they have some nickel in that metal. That's where that button is. Um, sometimes it'll be a recommendation to put tape over that. And if that helps clear up a certain little area, you know that you might be dealing with some nickel issues, um, which are Mm going to present in food and in your environment. So those are some environmental factors. So we've talked about stress and we've talked about Mm -hmm. environmental factors and a lot of er some other places I spend a lot of time are um, food and, um, and bacteria, fungal, um, issues. So I'm going to talk about food first because a lot of people will notice that they get a flare from food stuff, but, um, and that's like a, a big topic. But what I want to say there is that food is our friend and not our enemy, but there are some foods that seem to be kind of eczema irritants. So sometimes, and my profession is that I do dietitian work and then um, other things like I help with nutrients, et cetera. So it's really common for people to say, hey, this dietitian must know what foods work best for eczema. So my point is, is that there are some sets of foods that are somewhat irritating for eczema, but our goal is for that not to be a long-term problem. 
it t- what typically happens is there is something else going on creating a, a, a situation in our body where our body cannot break down those foods properly use them properly or it's kind of reacting to something things that we don't even see on food so like mm. um when you have if you've had food sitting in the fridge for a while or if you have leftovers for a while there are amines. These are amines that that um, that build up. So these are just like aging compounds, essentially. So those things build up. And for some people, those are triggers. That is really difficult to figure out as a person, right? Like, it's right. like, gosh, it seems like this. Now it seems like this. So it's not necessarily the food. It's a matter of your body is not breaking down things in the proper way for a certain reason, which brings me to the next piece, which is bacterial fungal imbalances. So people, you know, in the research, we have if you go to PubMed, which is our research repository, and you type in intestinal permeability, you'll find t- uh, like many thousands of papers. Um, last time I checked, it was well over 10,000 papers talking about intestinal permeability. So that gets a lot yeah. of press. I mm-hmm. think there's more of an issue with bacteria and fungal, et cetera, imbalances. Um, so what I, I liken this to if you have a nice lawn, some weeds, you know, and every nice lawn has some weeds. And with... Um, with people with eczema, the common weeds I see are staph and strep overgrowth. Um, and it could be something else too, but there's a, there's a, obviously our, our microbiome is as diverse as the Amazon, right? And so there's mm-hmm. always this possibility that can, there can be some weeds. Why do we get weeds? Well, sometimes early um, expo- exposure to medication and we don't really replant the grass, right? We just like killed some grass and killed the weeds and don't really replant the grass. Um, so then weeds grow up, grow. We've all experienced that, right? Like you, you lose a patch of grass and weeds like to grow there. Um, or uh, diets don't. So like a really diverse, um, colorful plant diet is what really feeds our microbiome like and makes it this beautiful lawn. Um, mm-hmm. And so we just like in the US, we're not super, we're kind of boring. We like to just eat the same things over and over and over. Like we're, <laughs> right? We really do. <laughs> right. Like this, we eat the same four proteins <laughs> over uh-huh. and over and over. Unless you're eating wild game or, or fish, you're eating really, I mean, just think about the proteins you ate last week. Like I bet it was four things, <laughs> unless you were eating mm-hmm. wild game or fish. And then with our plant foods, people, um, we get really comfortable with things, right? Because because thinking about food and, and cooking, sometimes a lot of people don't necessarily enjoy it or they're just looking for something. Um, we, t- we t- you know, we're just creatures of habit, right? So yeah, or not, we go to the grocery store, we only buy certain things, right? right. We, I know how to use those bell peppers, so I'm just going to keep using those every week. Right. Um, and the easiest way to diversify, if you're trying to break out of that, is, and this is a great thing because it's also the cheapest option, is to shop seasonally. So um, right now we're kind of like, where you are, it probably feels a little more, more like spring where I live. I'm looking at fresh snow dripping off the trees oh, um, this morning. Wow. <laughs> so yeah, so it's a bit different, but like, I still think um, it's a great time to be indulging in those um, squashes and winter, winter produce. Right. Um, and then as you know, whenever, whatever is cheapest or whatever's a bumper crop next, that's what I should be buying next because when it's cheap, it usually means it's plentiful, which means it's in season, right? That's like essentially what that means. Like if it's on sale, mm-hmm. not always, but that's how you can like quickly diversify or just look for something different or new or like try something you haven't tried before. Those are good, simple um, ideas for trying to uh, take advantage of like improving your microbiome before. Because, you know, often we don't think about this until it's like, oh, I'm already, I already have like too many weeds. So now I maybe need like some help figuring that out. But, um, you know, just generally, if you're not, (laughs) if you're not bothered by skin issues, the best thing you can 
can do is the most diverse diet. So that's kind of the short version of that. But people will often say, hey, I see um, reactions from the food, but really is it the food or is it what your body's doing with it when it's already there, right? Is there some other factor? And so that's where I think the bacteria, fun- like the, Im- the the gut imbalances is the easy way to say it. Your immune, there's other immune factors as well that I'll sometimes look at. Um, but basically I'll look at those. So I think if people aren't addressing stress, environmental factors, um, like having just like a great, a good nourishing diet, because we're also looking at nutrient deficiencies possibly as well as a cause of a cause of eczema for some people. Right. So, um, or mm-hmm. nutrient, if you don't have, if you have nutrient deficiencies, your guards are going to be down. Right. So if your guards are down, right. you're going to, it's gonna be easy for things to come in and set up problems. So for example, like vitamin A, it does a lot for repairing the epithelial tissue, but it also really supports your immune system. And if your immune system is, you know, slacking, it allows more fungal overgrowth that allows more problems to come in and set up shop. Um, and I've had people or I've had kids, it's been fun to see this, um, where sometimes when they start to get a cold, even a few days beforehand, they'll start to flare and our body knows we're going to get sick before we get sick. Um, which has been really Mm -hmm. fun. I've been using this ring to kind of track sleep (laughs) and just activity, et cetera. It's been sort of a fun little biohacking, uh, device, but the recently we were on a long trip and my kids had gotten sick and I was run down taking care of them. And for a few days before I had anything happen to me, it said, you know, your heart rate didn't drop last night. You know, sometimes that can happen when you're going to get sick or you're just overworking it. Maybe you should take it easy. So it told me that for several days before it finally took me. So anyway, um, (laughs) that will happen. So, um, so stress, environmental factors, food. Um, but I want to put that in the right context because we don't want to, you know, make it the enemy because some people start limiting Mm -hmm. their diets too much and it ends up being, um, not good. (laughs) We end up with a lot more immune system, um, anger and then bacterial imbalances. So those are the things I often look at, but then also some, uh, and there's more beyond those, but those are like primary ones I feel are affecting a lot of people, I guess. So those are some of the ways I look at it from the inside. Right, definitely. I really love the analogies you use and thinking about um, what we eat and how that impacts us and get to listen to the signals our body actually been sending us possibly days before anything happened to us and also understand the microbiome um, biology and is the, the bacteria it's really hot research topic even in the sleep area right now to understand what how our body is dealing with anything we um, put in our body system how to deal with it it's very interesting and complicated yeah, it really is. And um, sometimes we can get a little discouraged. So I was kind of talking earlier, you were saying, you know, the, the causes and effects are so different for different people. But man, mm-hmm. that information is so important um, to to kind of document and understand like what seems to work, not work. And I understand that sometimes it'll feel really frustrating at first because it's like a lot of data, but over time it starts to make more sense. So my point is what I'm trying to get to here is um with skin issues, sometimes we can get disappointed because it doesn't feel like it's clearing right away. But what I would love to plead you to do is look at other factors um, that are correlative or that indicate you're having success. So let me tell you what some of those are. If people are having success in like, so with kids mood, because sometimes mood is affected by this stuff. So if they're seeing an improvement in mood, sleep and itch, you are on the right track. Like if those things are better, 
you are doing well. Like the skin can turn over and it will, it will heal, but it usually will do it at a more delayed place. But if people are sleeping better, that's huge because one of the reasons they might be sleeping better is they're not up itching. And if you're not up itching, that means one, you're not compromising your skin barrier. So if you continue to scratch, you're like breaking down the skin barrier and making it like you just continue to add insult to injury essentially. Right. And so if you're not Mm -hmm. doing that, And you're also getting sleep. So you're actually repairing like this is when your body, we sleep for a third of the day on purpose, you know, um, to to repair. So, and sometimes people are like, yep, I'll just sleep later. But I mean, really, that's like one of the first things I look at to know that I'm on track. And there's many reasons I look at it um, because it also tells me that things in the microbiome are moving in the right direction as well. Because as you know, Mm -hmm. serotonin, which is sort of kind of a little bit of a precursor to melatonin, um, but it's a calming Mm -hmm. neurotransmitter is made largely in the gut, right? Um, In the microbiome or the affected largely by the microbiome. So I actually love, um, I love talking to people who say I'm not sleeping well because I'm like, oh yes, there's so many ways to improve that (laughs) by Uh addressing the microbiome and addressing what's going on inside. Like it's one of the first things that I want to see improve because I consider it sort of low hanging fruit. And if I can't get it improved with microbiome stuff, then of course there's, there's a lot, as you know, like there's a million topics (laughs) um, you could talk about related to sleep, but man, what an important, um, what an important area. So I always have people uh, document and I scale those things like a one to 10. Like, how do I think my sleep, my mood, my itch were, and then my, my skin issue every day, because then I can try start to see trends like, Oh man, two days after this sleep was, was affected, et cetera. So, but I mean, you worked in a sleep center, so I'd love to know like what you saw. Did you ever look at, um, did you, was skin itching or eczema every, an issue that you saw come through your center? Yeah, I actually see that, um, when I work in psychiatry department, not really, well, in the sleep department also, for sure. Uh, but I definitely see, like, I totally agree. If you sleep better, it helps with the different type of uh, skin conditions. But at the same time, when you have skin conditions, it interferes with the sleep. And mm-hmm. a lot of time people complain because they're itching, because they have, like, they feel it. So at night, they are not able to sleep well. Um, but we always we always have some way to treat with sleep and sometimes we use uh, psychological interventions to help to manage the stress, to to help people accept whatever physical condition is, uh, sleep can still pick up. So mm-hmm. yeah, we definitely see mixed conditions. Yeah, that makes sense. So it's, um, you know, a lot of the research around sleep and eczema is done in children because it's such a larger um, amount of people that are affected, I guess. And maybe the parents are just really looking. I don't know, you know, why it is, but at a basic level, there's just more people affected. Right. So it's easier to get study participants and it's pretty ethical to look at sleep and kids like, you know, it's not like you're doing crazy stuff. So um, so in kiddos, uh, there's a, like one study I found talked about how at least 60% of those with, um, eczema as a skin condition had disturbances in their sleep, but when they have a flare in their eczema, it over 80% of them are, have a disturbed sleep. So this is huge. Mm. It's like such a big problem. What I found interesting was they talked about circadian rhythms in the skin, which I think is a great topic as well. We could um, chat about if you wanted to, but another thing that I thought was unique was that they saw a large association of ADHD um, or attention, attention deficit hyperactivity disorder in children. They, they said it was associated in, um, with eczema, but only in the ones that had sleep problems. 
which I feel mm. like is not fair, right? Because right. because if you're not sleeping, of course you're going to act out or feel differently or just like not feel good or not feel yourself. And when that starts to become your normal um, and people are like, oh, now you have this attention problem. Well, gosh, I just like, I'm not getting good quality sleep in the first place. So I just thought that was interesting. It's related to, to children with eczema, but pretty much just in the ones that have sleep issues. So it's interesting how many comorbid or how many, how many things right. go together, right? Um, yeah. Yeah. It's so oh. good when you can address things from the inside and fix multiple problems rather than like, oh, I'm just addressing the one thing, I guess. I mean, that's that's how I like to think about it, I guess. I, I just like right. I like I, when you yeah. I like when you water the tree and the tree grows, you know, rather than like cutting off the branch. <laughs> Definitely. And I also like your approach or at least your view of this is you are not only watering the tree, you are putting all kinds of nutrition around the tree and to also help to make sure the soil is very healthy so you are really looking at the the, the same issue from multiple angles I, I totally agree it's so important yeah and I mean the tree thing is a great analogy because you're not only watering making sure it's got great nutrients but it's also got great sunlight so literally you're getting an mm. angle from every, you're putting in internal interventions in at the base and then you're also looking at the external interventions on the outside right like the environment has to be um, conducive to he, like to that trees growing and thriving and I feel like if we start to look at everything kind of that way we'll improve so many things because you know it's not it's it's not like we're supposed to have these nutrient deficiencies but it or, um, or X, Y, Z other problem, but tends to be, it tends to never be one thing. It tends to be kind of a perfect storm, right? Like maybe one right. thing is, is, um, is a bigger priority, um, than other things, or like you need to focus on one area at a time first. Right. Um, and that makes it a little easier and more strategic sometimes if I try to focus on one area. Right. But, mm -hmm. um, it's usually multiple things, um, that are affecting yeah. growth. So I'm curious, when you check out all these uh, initial points, where they are, what, what are some uh, things lead to the problem or triggers? Do you, is your approach more from dietation and uh, nutrition from food point, like when you uh, inter make the, do the intervention? Yeah. So I actually look at all those four points that I was just talking mm -hmm. about. I look at stress mm -hmm. because that's a huge, like we want to, if we just, if I just look at it from only nutrition, even though I think nutrition mm -hmm. is a really broad topic, um, mm -hmm. then I'm a little short-sighted. So then I want to make sure I obviously refer if it's something that I should not be you know, doing or it's something I can't do, but I can generally work on manipulation of the microbiome. So I can help with like making the grass look good again, you know, which is going to affect mm. the food, you know? So it, like that right. really interplays with the food so much that, um, and that's a great question. Like I started with just food until it wasn't enough. And then realized like, man, we could just expedite this whole process if we would do these two things at the same time. <laughs> um, and then also like addressing and looking at how big of stress is, is playing a role, how big sleep mm -hmm. is playing a role and making sure there's not other environmental pieces. So we try to control, um, try to control all the variables. That's a funny thing about life. Like we have so many variables coming in all the time. And so I try to just like take a really short amount of time to control variables. And I have an analogy for this. Um, actually I always, I, I liken it to like having a broken or sprained ankle. I usually like uh, the food stuff, et cetera, that's like kind of sitting on the couch, but we don't want to sit on the couch forever with a brain is broken ankle. We need to like add wrap 
um, elevate it, heal it, et cetera. Be, so that way you can walk again and then run, you know? Right. Um, so like, I don't think any intervention is kind of a permanent intervention for me. Like I'm looking to work things through phases um, and I'm looking for a certain amount of time where things kind of have a return, right? Um, like mm-hmm. how quick should things, some, there's certain types of eczema that when I hear someone's story or when I see what it looks like, it's just not as fast to resolve. And I just try to tell people that like, you have the same kind of eczema I did. <laughs> it does not mm-hmm. resolve as fast as some of these other ones that are a little bit bright, pink, red, et cetera. Like some of those will resolve a little bit more quickly. But what often happens, as we were kind of discussing before, people will get frustrated and they'll just kind of keep jumping things. And so we never really, like we, it's, and it, I totally get it because I've been there. Like we, we just throw things at it because <laughs> we're like really mm-hmm. desperate in the middle of the night when you're not sleeping, right? You become very right. desperate. And so it's hard for you to stand back and look at things. Um, but the more we can be like comprehensive, control the variables, even short time. So we can kind of manipulate things and figure out exact, because usually this is telling you, your body is giving you a signal, right? Right. Like, when it's showing up on the outside, it wants to tell you something, right? Like you, or your body would normally want to sleep well. It would normally not want to itch, um, et cetera. But um, so it's just trying to figure out which signals it's trying to tell you and then giving it what it needs essentially, right? Yeah, yeah, right. So um, yeah, you are doing a lot of work and uh, um, this definitely sounds like covers so many different aspects. And uh, I would imagine it would be challenging, but also uh, exciting to work on this topic. Do you also have a team you work closely to manage all these different factors around it? Um, well, actually, I would say I would individualize that, right? So like the team mm-hmm. might be when it's the child, it's going to be the parents and who's other, who are some other people that have been in their, in their, in their corner, right? So does the mm-hmm. dermatologist need to help with a certain thing? Um, do we mm-hmm. need to bring in someone else? It kind of just depends on the case, right? Um, right. I, as far as like my team, I'm always, uh, kind of, uh, masterminding or talking to other professionals. I talk to other professionals that work on skin issues and I talk to other professionals that don't work on skin issues because as you Mm -hmm. could imagine, when you're working on the rook, you know, when you're, when you're working on watering a tree, it doesn't matter if it's a peach tree or an elm tree. There's a lot of similar, like they're very different, but there's a lot of similarities. So when you talk to other practitioners that use similar methodology to address different conditions, we can Uh share, we can share a lot. So, I mean, just to be even simple, when we're looking at eczema, there's a lot of overlap between like psoriasis Um, there's a lot of overlap between acne or just random skin rashes. I mean, I, Mm -hmm. I still kind of consider, I still listen for the same things. So there's some like testing that can be done, but also I think like the person, um, with the condition, with the eczema, their, um, their experiences, their history, that's as, or more important, like what they say helps, doesn't help is as, or more important than any test result. Right. Because we can, our our test options, we're awesome. Our, our Medical options are awesome, but we like we can always improve, right? And so nothing's perfect. <laughs> so when we um, when we listen to people, we just get a lot farther, I guess. So yeah, 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 definitely. So I'm wondering whether we still have several minutes to talk about a little bit about the skin circadian rhythm because you mentioned that. I'm actually curious about what you uh, how you use that, what what you know about it. Yeah. So that's something I've been paying a little bit more attention to and I, something I'm learning a little bit more about. So I'm going to back up and talk about circadian rhythm in general. So circadian Mm -hmm. rhythm um, is probably no surprise to anyone listening to this episode, but you know, it's your sleep wake cycles essentially. Right. And Mm -hmm. to my knowledge, um, we have 
our our sleep-wake cycles are affected by many things. I've really been looking at how light affects this most recently and how that can help um, my different clients. So first off, another symptom I like is fatigue (laughs) because there's a lot of potential to improve that. And there's a lot of possible root causes of that. Um, And so obviously fatigue is going to come along with poor sleep too. But one, so I think about fatigue, like a question I'll ask someone is, do they have trouble getting out of bed in the morning, even if they've slept well? So if they do, then I want to start looking at cortisol awakening response or basically your body's um, get up and go in the morning. And so if that cortisol awakening response is not very good, I will look at circadian rhythm signaling. So like that's a fancy way of saying go get some full spectrum light or look at the sun. I recommend people go look at the sun the first 30 minutes of the day, because when you look at full spectrum light or you, um, which some people don't have daylight. And so sometimes they have to use light boxes in the morning. Um, Mm -hmm. but I always like the free option first. There are, um, photoreceptors in both your eyes and on your skin cells, which apparently is a little bit newer, um, on your skin cells, kind of when you, when you see light, it's basically telling your body like, oh, this is the time it is. And it's starting kind of setting that circadian rhythm. And this gets so, um, affected by, I'm sure something you've talked about a lot by the effect of light. Um, and Mm -hmm. so sometimes if we get up and we look directly at our screens in the morning, my knowledge is that that tells our, uh, photoreceptors in both our eyes and our skin that it's now noon. Um, and so if it's noon, it's a lot easier to feel tired earlier um, than if it, you tell your body it's now 6 a.m. or 7 a.m. or whatever time it is when you want to get up. So I always challenge people, like if you're not waking, if you don't, if you feel, if you had even a good night of sleep, but you're waking, if you're waking up and feeling really like it's hard to get out of bed, the first thing I do is go get some full spectrum light or look at the sun, 100 seconds, five days, see what you think. Like, I don't really have anyone who reports negative about this. And then other um, light experts will say, um, also get a little bit of light exposure, like around the midday and then in the evening, kind of when the sun's going down, because it helps kind of reset those circadian rhythms. This is definitely an area for me. I like to learn new things mm-hmm. and I feel stimulated by new things. And so it's an That's area great. like I... I still have a lot of, of things I'd like to learn about circadian rhythm that I don't know a ton about, but, um, like I've got some books, like old school books that I'm like, Oh, I wonder what was popular then and how we are still not addressing this now. But as you know, like what happens or a a thing I hear people say is they'll wake up in the middle of the night, they'll be scratching and then they'll just go watch TV, um, in the middle of the night, which can effect or interfere with their ability to go back to sleep because now they're taking in that blue light from the screens and it's interfering with melatonin production. So if people are going to get up and do that, I'd really recommend they use amber glasses and Mm -hmm. apparently they have to actually be amber to actually block the light um, that's affecting the melatonin from the screens for nighttime. So again, something I'm learning more and more about, it's supposed to be red glasses in the morning, or if you can't see the sun, if it's just like a little bit before the sun comes up, um, I've got like a, a, a shortcut on my phone where I make it red screened. Um, so I'm not getting like blue light from it. I'm looking through kind of red filters. Um, mm. So I do that in the morning, then midday you have um, computer glasses for just, and that's been really good for eye strain because if I look at the computer all the time, it affects eyes and then night amber. So anyway, um, they're like to, I don't have good analogies yet for, <laughs> for the other <laughs> circadian rhythm stuff in the skin, but it is in the literature about like eczema, which I think is great. I love that they're talking about all of the, all the potential factors, but kind of what I said, what I, is one of the things I hear the most is people get up and then they're kind of disrupting, um, melatonin production by kind of their essentially like sleep hygiene, um, factors, which I get like, 
what are you going to do in the middle of the night sometimes? Or like, I understand why that happens, but maybe try to in- include a little hack, like um, maybe try to block that blue light with amber glasses if possible. Mm-hmm. Cause otherwise we're sort of insulting um, that circadian rhythm even more. So, and when yeah, that gets disrupted, definitely. food mm-hmm. is a mess. I mean, it's a lot of things, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Right. If, like uh, it's surprisingly how closely uh, our sleep and food intake and all the other, um, uh, like our body system interfere with each other and mm-hmm. interact so closely. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Totally. Totally. Yeah. I like how you read research and apply them in your own work. That's cool. Yeah, it is really good. And actually something I didn't talk about, something I'm really interested in right now, um, I'm working on finding an expert to interview or maybe I'll do the episode about red light therapy. I don't know if you've done anything mm-hmm. about this, but um, red light is just really restorative and yeah. it really helps cells work better and helps with cellular turnover. So I'm just looking at that. Again, I was talking about internal, external and kind of some different ways to look at things. And the thing mm-hmm. is, the research around red light is amazing but when will it hit when will it be mainstream not for a long time so you have no choice like if you want to be cutting edge you need to go read what's working and then start to apply it (laughs) um otherwise i mean you can wait 15 years otherwise and eventually like eventually you'll hear about it (laughs) Um, yeah so field sleep field is slowly developing but the bright light therapy definitely there are a lot of trials already people are using it with a lot of good success there are also like you mentioned amber glass at night there are other type of glass with the little light within the glass you can turn it on in the morning and just wear it uh, I saw the picture of it, but I don't know the name of it. Sometimes so I know in a, clinical settings we use it. Mm-hmm. Oh, so it's like a it's like you turn on the glasses into a different light filtering setting. Is that what you what you said there? So uh, it's it's this glass. It's kind of like greenish, bluish color, and within the on top of the glass, there's little bright light. So you're just wearing this glass, turn on the light, directly the light going to the your light bulb, your eyeball, and uh, stimulating oh. your eyes to to make sure. Yeah. So I think it's mimic the uh, morning sunlight, similar to the light box, but it's just on your eyes. You're oh, wearing it. You're not putting yeah. it on the table. Yeah, there yeah, are new devices out there like that. Yeah, cool. I love that. Um, It's fun to, like, I love that there's a free option, but then, hey, if we feel like we can't get, like, it's amazing when you say, go look at the light when you wake up. People are like, it is still dark for two hours after I wake up. <laughs> so that is really tricky. So what are our next options? You know, we have to have, we have to have, it's nice to have both options. And the, and the pricing right. is not like, it's a, it's so, it's pretty accessible. I think um, it's not like yeah. crazy, um, which is yeah, nice. I think well, right. Amber glass is cheap and light box. I think you can get it for like twenty or thirty dollars. They are definitely cheap options. And I think in California, it's easier for people to get sunlight in the morning. But where you are, if, especially if it's snowing, it's dark, it has storms. Sometimes it can be hard. So use whatever you can use. And um, for some people, it may not be enough. So mm-hmm. light box can be a good option and add on in the morning. But the way to use it, I think sometimes it's better if the, the condition is complicated. It's better to consult with a professional about how sure. to use it, when to use it exactly. Right. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, cool. So many possibilities. I also love like doing an intentional experiment, right? 
Mm-hmm. So often we'll try something for like a day or two. I'm like, well, that didn't work. But like give something a real college try, like a week or two usually is um, at the very minimum of an experiment that I will want to do. It really depends on the intervention, right? <laughs> Some things have a different um, turnaround right. time than others. And so I just like encourage people to stick to something sometimes um, because sometimes you can be surprised how if you give it a little more time or effort. Um, it's amazing like the things that we do over and over that maybe degrade our health like day after day after day. So if we're doing something mm-hmm. to support our health day after day after day, like it will build up typically right definitely like experiment when we treat fatigue we ask people to do psychological experiment like move around do activities or versus like you know laying down there relaxing see which one is helpful more helpful to the fatigue situation and i'm wondering for you other than the light other than whatever you talk about do you encourage people do any experiments themselves or try anything to deal with the fatigue Oh my gosh. I have like a checklist I'm usually looking at for fatigue. I actually just did a podcast episode on this called Why Am I So Tired? Um, And I basically went through kind of like my mental checklist because there's basics as what you're talking about, like, Mm -hmm. um, which may not be basic to someone, but like sometimes we as as humans, our lifestyle is interfering with the quality or, um, or the uh, qu- the quality or quantity of our sleep, right? Like we're like, oh, mm-hmm. I just went to bed too late because I'm so busy like doing all the things. And so it's like, that's something we might be able to just like experiment with changing, <laughs> right? But then there's right. n- other like next level clinical things, like certain nutrient deficiencies I'll look at. I'll look at what, um, so people who have worked at night um, and really disrupted their circadian rhythm, sometimes their, um, their hypothalamic, pituitary adrenal access has an imbalance. So essentially their adrenals are like confused about, or they're like just kind of stressed. And so mm-hmm. when that gets stressed, um, sometimes people don't recover well. So I have, I actually went through like multiple things. It's sort of, so I start with like basics and then depending on how that improves things, if it's not like good enough, then I continue to add or look for other root causes um, kind of quickly to try to bring that up. Cause when people are fatigued, it's pretty hard to function. Right. So that's yes. sort of like a priority, like sleep and fatigue fatigue are some of my favorite symptoms for prioritizing to try to get back to normal as soon as possible. And they certainly go hand in hand, obviously. Right. Um, because Mm -hmm. if you, if, if, if you have those issues, it's really hard to do anything else, um, productive, like it's really hard to function as, as much as you would like to. Yeah. I definitely need to link your episode to the show notes so people can listen to that episode to understand more about this fatigue, uh, if they experience it. And so, yeah, that's great, Krista. And thank you for sharing all this knowledge with us. How can the audience find you uh, or find your podcast? Yeah, my podcast is called The Less Stressed Life Podcast. And it's a big umbrella for talking about a lot of topics. We talk about all things infecting stress, whether it's nutritional topics, um, structural topics, emotional topics like we talk about them all <laughs> and then uh, I'm you can find me over at less stressed nutrition or the eczematrition.com yes I will put all those links and your the name of your podcast and link to your podcast uh, in the show notes so people will find you thank you so much if you want to know more about Krista's new book her podcast and other related information please come to our show note at deepintosleep.co slash episode slash zero four one if you feel like you cannot sleep well because of eczema please remember other than diet nutrition 
other sleep strategies we talk about can still help you. And you can find out more information what we talk about before in our podcast Deep Into Sleep. I really appreciate all of you, all the audience who are listening and liking and supporting our podcast. Thank you so much. If you have any questions for me, please feel free to leave me a message, email me, just to ask me. I would always love to hear from you. Thanks again for listening today. I'm Ishan. I will see you next week. Sleep is an individual thing. We all sleep differently, and there is so much we can do to improve sleep quality. Keep hope and carry on. This podcast is for general informational purpose only and does not include the practice of medicine or other health professional services. Usage of the information we share is at the listener's own risk, and our content does not intend to be a substitute for any medical and professional services, diagnoses, and treatment. Please seek professional health services as needed. Are you suffering from insomnia? I promise you, the CBTI method in my course will definitely help you. Even if several nights of better sleep, that would be a world-changing experience for you. I have had so many success from my insomnia patients who have taken this course over the years. If you know someone who are struggling with sleep, go to my website and check out my course at deepintosleep.co. Or slash insomnia.